On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we will be talking about the blockades that are now shutting down CN and other rail lines across this country. They're all now being stopped, all the trains. Where's the line between protesting peacefully and the rule of law, and have we crossed it? We'll discuss that. Uh, We're also going to be talking about World Radio Day. World Radio Day, uh, opportunity for us to pat ourselves on the back a little bit, although we won't do that too much, but we will talk about radio. Bill Kelly will join us for that one. And then we're going to talk about cheerleaders. It's 2020. Is there still a place in football for cheerleaders? Do they still have a role in the game or are they old-fashioned and sexist artifacts? Well, we'll talk about that as well. Stick around. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. You have probably heard by now about the protests, the blockades, the, um, the actions that are going on across the country with Indigenous people, but it seems, in a lot of cases, a lot of non-Indigenous people, supporters, but not people who are Indigenous, setting up these blockades, blocking rail lines, doing all this other stuff, about the pipelines. Well, now Via Rail today has announced it's cancelling all of its train services across this country until it can figure out what's going on, until something is done to make things safe. I don't think anybody who works for Via Rail is wanting to have a train either get damaged or people on a train get hurt, or frankly, someone not on the train, on the tracks get hurt. So all of the rail lines for Via Rail across the country apparently now shut down. But this is a huge, huge problem because it's not just the rail lines. We've seen uh, the media being blocked from going into the legislature in BC. We've seen politicians being kept out of the parliament buildings, out of their offices there. And people, I think a lot of people are starting to say, okay, uh, where is the rule of law here? We may have disagreements with the pipelines or with other things, but where's the balance between the rule of law and this? Well, let me bring in Stephen Ledru. He is a commentator. You read him and hear him and see him in the National Post and on the National Post website. He's also the former president of the Liberal Party of Canada. Uh, Stephen, thanks for doing this today. My pleasure. It's an important issue, Scott. Well, let's go right to that first question. Where is the balance between the rule of law and protests? And I know that sometimes they overlap a little bit, but they get in the way of each other a little bit. But where is that line? Well, the balance is not in Canada. I'll tell you that. Um, Everybody has a constitutional right to protest, uh, but you do not have a right to, um, to stop the country. And you pointed out in your introduction, Scott, that it's, there are certain indigenous peoples who are protesting. Others are not. They are just a bunch of thugs and a bunch of snowflakes, university students, who um, are out there for some action and for some, what they think is fun. And when you hear uh, some of these protesters say, well, we don't recognize the sovereignty of Canada, and you hear the chief in Belleville say, this is not a banned matter. We haven't taken a vote on it. I don't agree with what they're doing. It's just a bunch of individuals out there in Belleville stopping the trains because they like what's going on out in B.C. And um, they're well-funded. Uh, they are there to, as one person said, stop the economy of Canada. And quite frankly, they are. The economy of Canada relies on rail, whether it's um, Goods and services. I mean, it's all the all the manufacturing, all the natural resources. They go by rail, and yes, Via is uh, stopping, and that's terribly, terribly inconvenient. But when you have all the other goods moved by CP and CNR uh, being stopped, we are going to be in the poorhouse soon. And so, um, the government is doing nothing. 
and uh, the federal government, and it should because our country is grinding to a halt because there is no rule of law with this, and the balance is 99% to the, to the, well, some of them are thugs, and to the people who are acting illegally, and, uh, and that should be redressed. It is kind of ironic that many of the people who are very, very vigilantly anti-pipeline have all said, you know what, it's fine, move it along the railway lines, uh, and then <laughs> they don't allow it to move along the railway lines, which makes the pipelines seemingly more important. But you, Stephen, you touched on something else that I, I think is very interesting here and very um, being overlooked in a lot of ways, and that is there are some indigenous groups who are very much opposed to the pipelines and others, but there are many, 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 many indigenous groups that have signed on to these and now look at this and say, look, this can bring tens of hundreds of millions of dollars into our communities and help out with our economies. We're all for this. Why are we not hearing any of their voices? Well, because uh, I, I, I'm, I'm giving uh, vent to their voices, and I did a uh, video for the post on it, but um, most media is ignoring it. There are twenty hereditary, sorry, twenty tribes where this pipeline is uh, going through who have signed on, and it's an indigenous people's problem in the sense that there are elected representatives and bands. It's, it's their democracy who agree with this pipeline. They're going to make a lot of money out of it. Everybody's going to make a lot of money out of it in BC and in Canada. And there are some old hereditary chiefs. These are, I mean, this is an ancient society. I get that. You have hereditary chiefs. And they are saying, well, we don't agree with this. We're giving, we're supporting the protesters. Well, there's only a few of them. And so that's not Canada's problem. You work it out. If you have two chiefs, one hereditary, one elected, and they're having a battle, well, deal with it. But it's not our problem. In the meantime, don't stop Canada's economy. And do not have people going on TV uh, saying, well, we don't recognize Canada. This is not Canada. This is our land. And the woman who was saying that, she didn't even have the support of the band councils who were properly elected. This is, not only is it insanity, (laughs) it is like an uprising. And we have to be very careful how we deal with it, but it has to be dealt with quickly, expeditiously, and finally. And while Trudeau is swanning around the world, trying to get uh, buy support for the Security Council seat. He's saying, and he, it's fascinating, Scott, he had one quote two days ago saying, well, we want to be on there because we want people to be, um, young people, to be non-radicalized. And Stephen, here's where things get to me um, very difficult and very confusing and very complicated because we do have court injunctions that have authorized the police now to take action and take down these blockades. And yet certainly in Ontario, at least, we are seeing that I've heard of, that I've been aware of, no evidence that any of this is being done. Why not? Where are our police? Why are we at a point where they are still so terrified to do anything? Well, I think part of it is political. And uh, many of your listeners, Scott, will will remember Caledonia. Of course. um, to, To the south where... You know, I mean, it was it was mayhem. It was anarchy for um, for months, um, and people lost their properties. They lost jobs. Their their kids were frightened every night, and the police uh, didn't go in. You're right. There are injunctions, um, and these people clearly do not obey the rule of law. So we have to be careful, or else it's going to be bloodshed. But you know, maybe there has to be bloodshed ultimately. But there are a lot of steps, Scott. I think that have to be taken before that. First of all. All of this stuff should be videotaped. 
We need to have evidence. We need to get their faces. We need to have and let them know that there's going to be, they're going to be held responsible. So we need as much identification as possible and what they're doing. Secondly, I think that um, there should be a lawsuit started to, against the individuals and against the bands who are associated with some of these, and, and most bands are not, um, and there should be a lawsuit against them for the damages. I mean, it is tens of millions of dollars, if not hundreds of millions of dollars, every day right now. But Stephen, you're right, and, and here's the here's the frustrating part to me though about this, and it's ironic mm-hmm. that this is happening. And you mentioned Caledonia; it's a perfect example. Uh, Christy Blatchford, your colleague, passed away this week. She wrote yep. wonderfully about what happened in Caledonia. Wrote a great book about this. And uh, it, it was not a proud moment for the OPP, but surely when something like that happens and then we have the opportunity to step back and re-examine the behaviors of the police, we would say, okay, next time, because there will be a next time, <laughs> next time we'll figure, we'll know how to get this right. And all I'm seeing is a rerun of the same things. Yeah. Now, they haven't learned, they meaning the police and they meaning um, the, the, uh, the, the police o- overseers. The administration. Yeah, and, and, and I'm sure that there's many uh, rank-and-file police who are saying this is, they're bristling. This is just not the way it should be. Um, and even though the government denied it in Caledonia, the government did. Um, they were directing. They were saying, don't go in there. And I, I get that. No one wants to see bloodshed. No one likes to see on the news at night um, police bludgeoning uh, some 22-year-old student who's there with her face painted. And, and, and that should not happen. But there's a difference between those 22-year-old students out there for a lark and, uh, and, and others with uh, knives and guns. And that's why I'm saying we don't want violence, but, and that's, there's a lot of steps between now and then, Scott. But um, there are people who are trained to handle this, and I think part of it as well is, is the responsibility that they're going to have to pay. A lot of these bands have a lot of money. You know that. Your listeners know that. And what they're doing is they're impoverishing people who are just trying to do their job, go to work. But this is and th- that's why I think that the, an economic sanction is going to be very, very powerful. After that, we'd have to see. But uh, let's start collecting money. But the challenge here now, obviously, is the, the Trudeau government is very reticent to get involved because reconciliation is a key stone of their whole platform. And yet, I don't understand how anybody, forget it, whether it's Trudeau or the Conservatives or the NDP or whomever, makes any headway with reconciliation when you have a divided Indigenous community, as we said a few moments ago, some who very much want this to go through and some who say no. Well, who are you, recon- who are you reconciling with? Because it's impossible to work your way through that. Well, Scott, first of all, I'm sure you'll agree with me that reconciliation is not laying over and taking it. Um, that's not reconciliation. That's just uh, giving in to uh, lawlessness. And so, um, and most of the bands, this is what goes on in these court cases that they wind through the courts for years in, in BC and, and the rest of places in the West. Um, the, the bands have joined in, joined in. And so, that is part of our system of government. Not everybody likes the decisions government takes. You're not going to have unanimity, though. And so when 95% of the bands agree, or in this case, I think it's 99%, the one with the coastal pipeline that we're talking about right now, and they, they all agree, well, then that's the decision. 
You but know, it, but mean, it doesn't seem election. to be that way. It doesn't. I mean, again, I would you would agree generally. I mean, with our election, it's not even fifty percent of the country that elects Absolutely. a government, and yet Absolutely. that's the rule. That's the rule we have to take, and, and we follow that. Um, I, I, I look. It's it's you can argue, and and you have, and I think it's a fair point that you know our prime minister is off doing things right now in Africa and later in the Caribbean, and maybe this is more pressing at home. Uh, but beyond that, I don't even care who is in government right now. I don't know how anybody starts to solve this if the reconciliation, if you don't know who you're reconciling with, because whoever you reconcile with, there's another group that is saying, no, you're not reconciling. It, it's it's an impossible you situation. Rec- you don't reconcile with, with a bunch of thugs. You don't reconcile with people who have lost votes, who have who are not representing anybody but themselves. And when you have... I mean, it's quite clear to me, Scott, if you have, you know, a thousand people and three of them are out there, you're causing trouble. Well, you know what? The other 997 people should say, we are going to be, we're going to deal with these guys. Got to jump in, Stephen. Always appreciate having you on. Thanks for doing this today. Always my pleasure, Scott. Fasc- fascinating topic, a troubling topic. Hopefully somebody figures something out one of these days soon, and we don't have another Caledonia. We don't have another Oka. There's got to be a solution, a better solution. Hopefully bright minds will intervene and figure this one out. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Here on World Radio Day, World Radio Day, I'm sure probably somebody... You heard that somewhere today. Somebody told you that. Someone on the radio made mention of the fact that today is World Radio Day. I didn't get the dossier, so I'm not entirely sure how we're officially supposed to celebrate World Radio Day. I was not given any cake. No thank you card from any of the uh, people here at Chorus, although, you know, they thank me every day. Warm embraces every day in the hallway telling me how much they appreciate what I do. Um, but no, I, I don't know what the proper thing, that song Radio Gaga, surely somebody somewhere had Lady Gaga on the radio just so they could have Radio Gaga today. Surely someone who had her phone number was able to do that. However, thought we'd talk about radio for a few moments because it is, uh, it is something that we all love. And uh, one of the people who makes great radio here every morning on CHML is William Kelly. Uh, you know him a little bit better as Bill. Sir, how are you tonight? Happy World Radio Day. And to you too. I, I just heard your discussion here about this. We did, did celebrate this, of course, you know, at the radio station. You didn't get the bonus check then, did you? I did. No, I did oh. not. Okay, I got maybe a... I be, maybe I shouldn't be talking about it. I'm sorry. No, no, I got a, as I say, I got a warm hug uh, in the hallway and they said, thanks a lot. Now move along, get back to work. There you go. It, okay. It's very, sometimes it's very much like being in the, in, you know, in the bottom of a, of a ship back in the day when you just had to row and row and row. That's, that's, uh, but it's okay because we love doing it. We love rowing, Bill. Uh, I've been fascinated by this this industry since I was a little kid. I'm serious. I, I know they all say that, but I mean, when I was growing up on East 37th up on the mountain, uh, I either wanted to be a goalie for the Boston Bruins or a radio announcer, and I, I was going back and forth between the two. You chose wisely. Go to Vincent Massey School and play ball on the diamond there in the summer. I bring a transistor radio with me, I, and I, I, of course, you know, at that age, yeah, you listen to the music and the bands and the stuff you like. But I was listening to the announcers. I was just fascinated by that that whole thing, and of course, being in Hamilton. Uh, we were raised on CHML. I mean, that's the first thing that we heard every morning when we woke up. But <laughs> that's how my dad woke us up, Paul Hanover, every morning. And it was, and and of course Tom Charrington at night if we had to go out someplace. So I mean, it was it was a part of my life, uh, and it just grew as as my life got on. I I would pr- I would argue that probably if you are under, or, or pardon me, if you're over what twelve twenty 
what, 30? If you're over 30, for sure, radio has been, there will be a point in your life where you will point to, or you can think back to a moment when radio, something happened on the radio that you will viscerally remember. Uh, I would think 30 years old might be the cutoff for everybody and a lot of people under that too. Well, I am over 30, so I, have, I, I, <laughs> I do match that. But, you know, we've all got those memories. I mean, obviously, as a kid growing up, I mean, I mentioned Paul Hanover and, and you know, Person and Charity and everybody like that. Uh, but as a kid, of course, you gravitate to Top 40 radio back in those days. Yep. And it's, you know, name it and claim it. You know, you, you, you dial or, you know, the contest that the uh, the evening disc jockey would run, and you'd win a the copy of the record or stuff like that. And I think we've all been down there. Uh, the movie To Serve With Love, classic movie from uh, 1967 with Sidney Poitier. Uh, we won free passes from a radio station, uh, CKOC back in those days. And that's that's how I got to see that movie. So we it, we, it was a part of our lives for everybody back in those days. I have, uh, I used to do the thing, and may, maybe some people listening did this as well. Um, I, I'm sure that the, radio, the uh, record companies didn't love this at the time, but I used to have the Ghetto Blaster and would record off the radio the songs when they would come on that I would love that I wanted to record on my cassette. So for the longest time, I had no idea what the first few bars of Abacab sounded like, for example, because I could only get it started certain fast enough that I missed the beginning of it. But that's you would have entire cassettes of songs that you had ripped off the radio. And if someone came into your bedroom while you were, because it had to be silent while you were recording, you'd be furious at them because you'd waited all day for that song to come on. And then they'd screwed up your recording and you had to go back and, but yeah, we've, we've all got those things. And by the way, you may, I don't even know if I've ever told you this. I think the first time I was ever on the radio was as a contestant on a game show you used to do back in the day here on CHML. I called in way, way, way back. It, you, you had a game show that involved a game called Tribond. And it would be three. Yeah, I remember that. And I was a contestant, and I lost, and I was so furious because I thought I'd won, and I thought I got the right answer, but I didn't, and I didn't get the prize. But that's okay. That's okay. I still remember doing that. Doing the afternoon drive show back in those days. I do. I do. Now, do you remember, and you mentioned a couple of them, Hanover and, and others, but do you remember the people? See, this is the other thing. I, I remember the people that I grew up listening to. Uh, very, very, very vividly, I remember that. Well, I'm uh, as much as I love Paul, and he's an institution, the great Paul Hanover, clearly, as soon as my dad went to work, we flipped it over to 1050 Chum. Uh, you know, to, and, and I listened to guys like Jay Nelson and, and Dave Johnson and Bob McAdory and all these great legendary guys. Uh, and one of the thrills of my life was years and years later when I was working in Toronto radio, I got to work with most of these guys. Uh, you know, those guys, Terry Steele and a bunch of those these, the legendary guys. I mean, they're the voices that you always heard, and then you finally get to work with them. It's 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 like growing up and playing for the Tiger Cats, you know, and saying, "Hey, these are the guys I love." Playing. And now I'm one of them. You know, it was, it was really kind of cool. The the one of the great things I, I think it's a great thing. Not everybody does, but I think one of the great things about radio is that when you hear voices and people right now may be doing this, although you're pretty visible, so. But you hear a voice and you think you know what that person sounds like they probably look like. And then almost never do they look like you expect them to. Almost never. never. And I remember meeting one of the guys that I was a huge fan of when I was a kid. I I grew up in Toronto and it was the same thing. Uh, 680 uh, 680 CFTR was a top 40 uh, channel at that time. And Mike Cooper was on. And years later, I was working as a publicist at the Canadian National Exhibition, and he decided he was going to do a marathon, um, what do you call it, the, uh, the, the, the Ferris wheel. The he, Ferris wheel yeah. he was going to be on that for the whole ter- term of the X, and I remember yeah. meeting him. He's trying to set a Guinness record. Uh, yeah, and, and he almost went totally insane by the end of it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was horrible. But I remember meeting him and thinking, you are not at all, at all what I thought you looked like. But you know what? Uh, here, let me take you know, a break. He grew, up, he grew up about two blocks away from where you are right now. Is that right? Still. 
Well, yeah. maybe we'll get went, him in here one of these West days. Hill School, went to Mohawk College for about six months, but he was so good that he got his first radio job. But he has this great booming Absolutely. voice. Absolutely. And Mike's, what, about five, six, five, seven, maybe? It all comes back to Hamilton always. Uh, Bill, do you, how did, you said that you grew up, you wanted to be either a Boston Bruins goalie uh, or a radio host. I think I you made. given up on that Bruins goalie. Well. Uh, I was going to say, I think you made the wise choice, nonetheless, okay. especially, especially with the knees. The the yeah, knees tend probably. to go. Um, how did you get into radio? Interesting story. Uh, I'll, I'll, try, I'll give you the edited version of it. Like I said, I was always fascinated by it. Uh, grade 13, it's at Wilfrid Laurier High School out on uh, Quigley Road. This is a guy in the uh, mid-70s. I was sitting there after school, after class one day, and one of my old football coaches, who was also my geography teacher, and we're talking, and he says, so where are you going? And he says, well, I've been accepted at four or five universities. I'll probably just get a degree, and I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do. And he says, he says, you know what? The world is full of people with degrees, and they don't know what they want to do. What's your passion? What do you really want to do? Not what you're being told to do. And I said, well, I've always had this fascination with broadcasting, with radio. And he says, well, follow it. Go it. This course is all over. There's Mohawk College here. You should try and get into that. And I said, yeah, there's university. He says, you can always go to university. Try that. Go with it. So I did. And uh, I got accepted at Mohawk. And uh, put the university thing on, on, you know, the back burner for a while. Uh, the legendary Norm Marshall was the instructor there, and uh, I tell you, uh, th- that was a godsend. I mean, nobody knows more about radio or broadcasting in general than Norm Marshall did. Of course, you know, great announcer at CHML for years, play-by-play guy. You know, so many things. And, and boy, I learned a lot from him. Well, you had an all-star class. Jim Taddy, uh, who did Sports Line, was in your class, right? Uh, yeah, Jim was a year behind. Okay, us, but he was. Yeah, we were all the group that hung out together. Connie right? Smith. Connie Smith, uh, you go down the list here. I mean, there's so many people that got into the business uh, from that class, class of 72, 73, 74. Uh, John Crawford that did news here for many, many years, Doug Faraway. There, there was a wow. whole raft of them. As a matter of fact, that, that little band of, of brothers of, of ours, including Connie, we include her in that, uh, started the Mohawk College radio station. There were two or three attempts to do it before, and it, it kind of flopped, and Norm said, look, uh, you get, I want you guys to revive this. And, you know, we breathed life into it and had a great old time doing it. It's Still going today, obviously, as a big entity. But I was just—I loved it. I was just enamored by this thing, and it's—it's a, it's a, it's a passion. It's—it's it's, you know, you love doing something. I mean, it, it sounds like a cliche, and but it's true. I—I I, I love coming into work every day, each and every, and I've been doing this for a long, long time now, uh, forty-six years, I guess it is now. And uh, I, I don't—not crazy about getting up at three thirty in the morning, but <laughs> once I'm up and showered, and I'm into the radio station. I just love it. I mean, there's an energy because every day is different. And you mentioned how video hasn't killed the radio. It, what it did, though, is made radio evolve. I mean, there's still music formats, etc. But what this did, it was really kind of launching into the whole era of talk radio. I mean, any station back in the days when I got into the business that had a talk show, there's maybe one talk show. The rest of it was all music. Uh, and and there were some of the great guys I used to listen to late at night, Joe, back in the days when the, the American stations would bleed in here, you know, WBC and WABC in New York and places like that, and you'd hear these voices, and that's where talk radio really evolved, and uh, that's what you and I are doing right now, too, so, you know, we're part of that evolution. It is, uh, certainly, and thank goodness for the cell phone, because uh, that has changed talk radio oh, yeah. considerably, that people can call from cars or wherever they are. Uh, what, what's your moment? I mean, everybody has a moment that you remember being on the air or two. What, what is Bill Kelly's moment that you look back when the whole thing is done and you say, if I could have only had one moment in radio, what would it be? Oh, God. Is, can I include TV in that, too? Sure. I was there for 9-11. Well, the, uh, yeah, okay, there you go. Uh, I was doing CH Talk Live, as you recall. It was the show that was on. It actually started at 9.30 in the morning when they first started it, uh, when Global took over to CH back in those days. And it was so popular, they decided to move it and make it an hour long, and it was going to start at noontime. And I thought, that's cool. That's really great. Well, the first show 
that was going to go an hour long happened to be September 11th. Wow. Uh, and I was on the air from noon that day till about 10.30 at night. Uh, you know, Dan and Connie and a, and a bunch of us. And it was fly by the seat of your It is really radio because we're following along in this. But there have been so many, so many highlights. People have, have had the privilege of interviewing uh, through radio, you know, some of the great voices in sports and, and in broadcasting and, and certainly in entertainment. Uh, you and I both know, obviously, with my fascination with the Bruins, uh, the day about six years ago when Bobby Orr came yeah, in. Yeah, I've seen the yeah. picture. Yeah, and uh, I got the call from the promotion department. I said, you know, would, would you like to have Bobby on the show? And I said, sure, what time is he going to call in? He says, no, he'll come in. I said, who is this? Who is this? Don't pull my leg like this. We yep. had the most fascinating time. And uh, people heard that segment, of course. But what the reality is, is we, we started at 9.05. He showed up at 8 uh, with his publicist and everything and sat down in my office. It was about June. And he had T-shirt and blue jeans and sandals on. It was, you know, looked as casual as you can be. And we just shot the breeze like he was my long-lost best friend. As if we'd known each other forever. There was a lineup out my door, Scott, people on staff that usually didn't come in until 9.30, 10 o'clock. They were there at 8 o'clock in the morning. You get autographs. They bought their jerseys. He signed every one of them. He is one of the, I, I've, I've talked to him, I've interviewed him. He is one of the guys who absolutely gets it even today. Uh, sadly, as you know about radio, time is a, uh, a limited quantity here. So Certainly we are, out of it. you know, and it makes me feel very sad because when you talk about your story about your best moment or your, besides Bob, your 9-11, this l- moment laden with gravitas. And I'm thinking mine is when Hermie the Elf from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Ranger went on an F-bomb rampage live on the air. <laughs> you know, I, I got to somehow do better than that one in time. I mean, there's, there's been some others, but uh, somehow when the time comes that I hang up the mic, I hopefully have something a little more weighty than well, yeah, that one. You know, I remember you and I having a conversation when they approached you to come and do this show. Uh, and you're a fabulous writer, of course. We all know that. But And, and you know, there was a little trepidation, if I don't mind. You know, no, no, I'm there sure was. you don't mind saying this. And, uh, man, you're rocking it. I mean, it's fabulous. Well, I appreciate you, that. You know, you, you, you know the old that the, the right answer that we all are supposed to give here is well I haven't done my best show yet. Uh, there you go. Well, I'll stick with that. I'll stick with that. But if Hermie the Elf and a bunch of f bombs is what I have to live with, then you know what? I'll 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 take that one. All right, I'm jealous now. Got to got to run, Bill. Thanks for doing this. Happy hey, World Radio so Day, much, Scott. Really appreciate it. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. This was a story that we saw. I think it was late last week, maybe early this week. I'm not really sure when it happened, but there was a story that the Montreal Alouettes had disbanded their cheerleading outfit for the first time in, I don't know, I mean, the Alouettes have been, remember they were gone for a while, then they were, what were they called? I can't remember what they were called. Um, But the Alouettes, for all the time they have been a football team, have had a cheerleading team. Well, this time they were going to not have one for 2020. However, however, there has been a blowback from the public. There was a groundswell of folks saying, wait a second, we want cheerleaders. What's football without cheerleaders? We want cheerleaders. So the Alouettes announced that they, in fact, are bringing back their cheerleaders. Uh, they, here's what they say. The Montreal Alouettes announced today they have reconsidered their decision. The best cheerleaders in the country will be part of the game to continue to impress the crowd with their athletic choreographies and on and on and on from that. Well, I know someone who may take slight umbrage with them claiming to be the best in the country because I think she uh, may have been involved with two other cheerleading groups that, uh, she may think were slightly better, but you know. She's not probably going to take too many shots. Anyway, uh, Leslie Stewart was a longtime cheerleader with the Toronto Argonauts, head of that cheer team for years, and then became more recently head of the Ticats cheer team. Uh, she joins us now. Leslie, thanks for doing this today. Oh, absolutely, Scott. I love. Uh, I always love talking about cheerleading, especially when it has to do with the CFL. So 
Well, and by the way, uh, happy anniversary, because I understand today is also the 19th anniversary of CHCH Morning Live starting, right? Yes. Hard to believe that 19 years ago, we all got up really early in the morning and started this show of ours. And, and the, the feedback from the viewers, too, they, and people can't believe that much time passed. It's it's uh, but it was it's been such a great ride. Well, I saw a picture of the staff from day one, and I must say, and it's going to sound <laughs> like I'm blowing smoke, but everybody looks much much younger except you. Uh, I don't know. You must go home and cryogenically freeze yourself at night or something because you look the same. <laughs> Everyone else though looks so young. <laughs> I don't know. It's just I know it's funny when I see Bob because Bob was like you know he was in high school forties. Yeah, he looks like he just came out of high school. I know, it's pretty cute. We we had such a great time. I remember meeting Bob in the elevator on January 8th, 2001, and said, you know, what do you do here? And he said, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be hosting this morning show. I'm like, oh, I'm on the morning show too. Nice to meet you. And there we went from there. So it was really fun. Uh, okay, let's move on to cheerleading because this is why we, yeah. uh, what, what yeah. you, you're, well, not just your, not your only area of expertise, but one of them. Uh, it is 2020 and this has, I sound like Barbara Walters. It is 2020. Um, <laughs> is there still in 2020 a place for cheerleaders? I absolutely is. Uh, absolutely. I think, you know, I think there's been a panic because everybody is constantly seeking and continually seeking out. Um, political correctness right now, right? And, you know, there's a place for everything. But, you know, when I look at all of the girls that came to me on audition day, they came to me because they were dancers. And they've been dancing since they were four years old, and they had a passion for dance. They didn't necessarily come because they loved the Ticats or the Argos or football in general. And then I always would tell them, well, my job, I know you can dance, but my job now is to teach you football, if you don't know it, and to help you fall in love with the organization and to fall and just be out there in the community and promote from the heart. And that's what they become. They would become these professional dancers that loved football and loved their team. And so absolutely is. I think, it. you know, people get worried about the uniforms. And so there's been a lot of change with what they're wearing. You'll even see it with the Raptors dance pack. They've gone to more like bicycle shorts and a lot of the skirts and dresses are gone. Go-go boots are gone. Even pom-poms sometimes are gone. So everyone's just trying to find a place so that we can still exist. Okay. Now, I mean, you mentioned political correctness. Uh, uh, Me Too, as everyone knows, is front and center yeah. right now. And, and and there's more than that. So at the risk of sounding totally offensive, there would be mm-hmm. those who would say the cheerleaders are out there, though, just to be eye candy. Yeah. And, you know, and, you know, really the real first true cheerleading team would have been the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders. There are obviously, you know, the majorettes before that. And, you know, there was, there was always the, you know, the princess and the queens and the pageantry back in the day. So there's always been that and people that were definitely, you know, graded on their beauty. But one thing I always stress with my team was that these girls had, they were school teachers and lawyers and had their masters in whatever program. I mean, they're intelligent women. It's, you know, there's, there's still a place for them to be out there and perform as entertainment. Because let's not forget basketball, football, it is an entertainment package. So when people go, and that's why people are complaining, we're complaining about the Alouettes cheerleaders being removed, is because they were pulling away, they were taking away from the entertainment package. Some people don't really care about football. Maybe it, it could be the, the wives or the, the kids that go to the game and they just want to watch the cheerleaders, and that's okay. As long as it's tasteful, it's presented tastefully, I agree. So adjust the uniforms a little bit and 
really it shouldn't be eye candy. It should be they are professional dancers performing. And that happened with the uh, with the tie cats not that long ago, right? Where the uniforms changed and the I think they brought some men in, and I mean the the dynamic of what the cheerleading team was was altered. Yeah. So when I stepped down uh, at the beginning of 2018. I mean, the girls, my girls were always, you know, covered in dress, but they wore skirts and go-go boots, and they had sometimes full cat suits. Uh, they decided in 2018, we had, a, we had a bit of a rough year. It was transitional with the new coach, and so they decided to kind of, they tried. Uh, it, didn't, it didn't quite work out, and so they kind of just ended up letting it just sort of fall to the wayside, thinking, well, you know what, maybe cheerleaders don't matter anymore. And the Ticats found out, just like the Alouettes did, you know what, they do. And there were phone calls and emails and people begging for them to come back. I remember season ticket holders saying to me, we we bought our seats right near this particular section because we knew your team was there performing and my kids love watching. Uh, and I mean, it has, I suppose, part of the confusion, if you want to call it that, uh, especially around here for the longest time, the Argo cheerleaders were the Argo Sunshine Girls. And so they would all, have, and so there was that crossover. And uh, did you ever, because you danced with them for, I don't know how many years you danced with them, but ten for years. a while, 10 years. Mm-hmm. Okay. Did you ever have anyone act inappropriately towards you or say inappropriate things on the field or do anything that you kind of looked at them and said, come on, like smarten up? Sometimes we did. I mean, you, you'll get that. And, you know, and sometimes it could just be a player. I mean, half the time we're running A player? Really? Out. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you be, you're dancing on the 30s at a timeout or something, and the players, you know, they're standing right there, and they're, you know, they'll, they'll catcall you, whatever it may be. But, you'll yes, you'll get that wherever you are. But it doesn't necessarily mean because you're a dancer or because you're wearing what you're wearing. It, it's just, it happens in life and it doesn't mean it's okay. It's not, but it, yes, absolutely. It did happen, but nothing, we never had anything in my 10 years there that was dangerous and the club was really supportive of us all along. So, you know, I, um, it was a, it was a great run there and we, we never ran into any issues. Well, and so. again, there, there, there have been places, I think, uh, intentionally or otherwise where the line gets blurred. And the other one that I was thinking of, we just saw last week was the first weekend of the new XFL, the mm. old XFL once upon a time went out of their <laughs> way. I mean, they hired strippers to be cheerleaders and they, yes. they t- would tell the v- TV viewers that were taking the cameras into the cheerleaders dressing room. And I mean, it it was intentionally that you were supposed to be that if you were one of the cheerleaders there. And so, you know, like mm-hmm. it, I would imagine that for those people who are cheerleading because they love the dancing and they love the cheering and all the rest, it really creates a bit of a blurred line to say, okay, mm-hmm. what exactly are we here for? Well, absolutely. We, we would never want to be associated with something like that. And anytime something like that happens, yes, it takes away from what we do. As I say, these are professional dancers. These are girls that train so hard you know, and have danced their whole lives. They, they don't want to be associated with that. Is part of the reason or is part of the lure for a lot of the people who come out that there aren't a lot of other opportunities f- to be in a dance team? I mean, where, where, if you're not in the, if you're not on the cheerleading team in Hamilton and you're mm-hmm. not a full-time professional dancer who is in ballet or wherever, I mean, where else do or you dance? Or a backup dancer for J-Lo. Sure. I mean, that's what I used to thought I would like to tour with. You know, Janet Jackson, I remember, oh, I want to tour Janet Jackson. But, yeah, absolutely, that's exactly what it is, Scott. So you hit about the 18-year-old mark. You've been dancing in your dance companies and competing all over North America. And all of a sudden, you finish, you graduate high school, you go to college, you're kind of worn your studio out, you've outgrown it, 
now what? Well, most of the people, most of the girls stop dancing. You know, they might go to college, university for dance, and then what, right? So this is a great outlet for them. It's, it's the most perfect venue to come and be a cheerleader for extend your dance for another 10 years if you want and make really good, you know, friends and family, basically. Uh, y- y- this may shock you. Um, I've <laughs> never danced at a studio. I've, I've never worn a pair of tights <laughs> with a cod piece. Uh, that's, that's not really? been my, yeah, it's, it's never been my, th- so I'm, I'm not much of an expert when it comes to that. Uh, the dancing that you do as a cheerleader, generally, how close is it to the dancing that you would do as, member, as a member of a studio? Well, you know what, generally you're getting the top, you know, upper echelon of the dancers from the studio that are coming to try out for these teams. So when you're part of a competitive dance team with your studio, you have been, basically, you've been forced to dance all of whatever form of dance they want you to dance at your studio to be part of the team. So usually ballet is always your foundation. You would have jazz, tap, um, theater. So it's all there. So these girls are already well-rounded. So when they come to audition for, say, like a team like mine or for the Alouettes, because Annie LaRue, she was the head coach of the Alouettes, we had a similar dance style. Um, and it was, you know, high energy and everything they've ever learned would be out on that field, something that we could take from the studio to the field. And so it, it worked perfectly for us. So it's, it's very similar. So what do you see then for, again, in 2020, and I know you're not coaching them right now, but as someone who's yeah. passionate about this, in 2020, what's the role of the cheer team for the Ticats or for the Alouettes or for any football team? Well, I think what we're seeing now, the trend is to try to create a more well-rounded package. So to, yes, incorporate men as well, open the doors for males and females. So, you know, the way I look at it now, if I was to coach right now, I would have... Um, just kind of like the Raptors, where they have their the male dancers come out, they'll do a bit, the female dancers do a bit, and then they all dance together, which is super cool. It's kind of street style and hip-hop. And then with, when it comes to football, you can also incorporate power cheerleading. So all the stunting and the flips and the throwing into the air, uh, which is very gymnastic, very collegiate. And if you can have all three components, then you're covering the whole thing make sure everybody's covered up and dressed appropriately and professionally. And I think, I think there's room for it. Just before I let you go, uh, you, I guarantee that I'm not telling you anything you don't know here, that there would be, uh, some women who would say, you know what, women don't like this stuff because it objectifies them. Now I'm always interested when people claim to speak for an entire group, because I think that, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's a little patronizing to suggest that all women think alike because they have similar parts. I, I think that doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, but nonetheless. Um, but I'm sure you've heard this from people who say this is not something a women would support because it's sexualizing. What do you say to the, not to the men, what do you say to the women who say that that's what you're doing? Well, I have to tell you from, based on my experience, first off, is that majority of women support us. And they're actually a lot of the ones yelling from the stands on the sidelines to me saying, bring back our cheerleaders. We love them. So it's actually majority of women really do support other women when it comes to this, as long as they feel like it's appropriate, right? And as soon as it gets inappropriate, women will get their backs up, right? Um, but, you know, I, for, for the women who don't support it, I'd like them to just look at it from, again, it's say your daughter studied professional dance and now she wants to perform. As long as it's tasteful, they're dressed professionally. This is a great entertainment package. The Tiger Cats is a night out. It's football, it's giveaways, it's music, and it's dance. It's and part. It's part of the show. Try to embrace. Is that what you're saying? It's part of the show. It's part of the show. Yeah. 
any surprise that the Alouettes decided to change course and bring them back, or is that what you expected would happen ultimately? I, I figured it would happen because I, I, I will admit they are fantastic. And I actually told Annie, I, I said to her, your team has always been you know, one of the best in the league. And I always joke because, you know, we, we were, we've been very close for years. So she, the Alouettes came back to the league in 96. She's been coaching since then. And their team is incredible. She told me today that there was a petition online. The media blew up. The fans were going, season ticket holders were going into the office and canceling their membership or canceling their season tickets. So talking, wanting to talk to the president, they, they said, you know what, we love our cheerleaders. So I, I, I wasn't surprised at all when I found that out. So I would say then you're going to say they are among the top two or three cheerleading <laughs> outfits in the CFL. Yeah. Absolutely. Their team is great. Always has been. Leslie Stewart, always appreciate having you on. Thanks for doing this today. No problem. All right. Thanks, Scott. There it's uh, Leslie Stewart from CHCH. I mean, 19 years for that, uh, for that morning live show. But yeah, it, this one's an interesting one to me. This is very interesting to me because I, I'm a little surprised when Leslie says that so many women are the ones supporting it because I just kind of think, I assume, dangerous thing that in 2020, a lot of women would say, nope, no, no, shouldn't be doing this, but no, there you go. Um, that said, I... If it's done right, as she says, and if it's done in a way that's not, what's the right word here without getting myself in a lot of trouble? If it's done in a way that's appropriate, where, where's the harm in having this as part of, as part of the package? Where's the harm? Let me know if you feel differently. Love to hear from you. Radley at 900CHML.com. You may. You may feel differently from Leslie and I. I I just, I see no, if it's done appropriately, if it's done in a way that you can take your kids to the game and feel like they're not having their eyeballs burning out with something they're seeing, why not? What's the harm? The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.